Well, hello, listeners. Welcome back to the AC Podcast. This is Andy Steiger, and I am joined with Steve Kim and Troy Lydiot. How's it going? Hello. Guys, I have a question for you. Have you ever phoned a friend and you get their answer machine? Yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> uh-huh. And have you noticed that some people, their answer machine are pretty, pretty hysterical? Uh-huh. <laughs> Such well, as let, let me just phone this one guy. Uh-oh. I want you to <laughs> Troy's like, why is my phone ringing? I'll tell you why it's ringing. Because your answer machine is is hilarious. Listeners, take a listen to this. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. This is me. And if you don't know who me is, well then a chance you probably shouldn't be calling. But if you do know who you called, I obviously am a little busy with something. I'm out here making his name known. You don't know who I am, then you obviously don't know what that means. But if you do, please feel free to leave me a message. Name and number. You know what Talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs> Troy, man, I love that. I love that. <laughs> Walk me through that. Walk you through it. Uh, it's funny you said that, that you called that because I'm actually about to change it. But I, I've always just like wanted to have a voicemail that if someone doesn't get a hold of you, that it's actually one that it makes people laugh. It's I used to have one that was like for the government. I was like, hey, this is Troy Lydian. Unless you're the government and you want something I can't give you, then this is not me. <laughs> um, but uh, I was recently thinking, I was like, okay, I'm starting to get some more responsibility and I'm having more like organizations call me time to time to change it up a little bit <laughs> I, I don't know man i i love it i love it i uh, i hope if you change it up dude keep keep some keep some humor i will keep some i will i will <laughs> hey listen guys on the show today we're gonna jump right into things we're gonna talk about the subject of lost in translation uh, at least that's what i'm calling it as i've been thinking about the issues that people are facing in the in the church right now that that's just the immediate topic that came to my mind i began to think about this issue and i and i got to be careful here i can't use specific names or places cuz i just want to respect the the challenges that are going on out there without trying to highlight I, i'm trying to highlight the issue not the not the institution can you appreciate that <laughs> for sure mm-hmm. uh, so you know so i was talking with this this one individual we'll call him an individual and he's out of the united states uh, works at a Bible college, and they're really struggling with what to do about critical race theory. Now, we could bring up a whole host of topics, but this one is specifically on critical race theory. And the issue at hand, and if you haven't been watching the news, by the way, uh, critical race theory has been huge in the United States. A lot of, lot of discussion going around whether or not this should be taught in in schools. And so as you could imagine, there's a lot of discussion about, okay, well, should you be teaching this in uh, at, at a Bible college? Should a Bible college or, or, or a Christian university, should they be teaching critical race theory? But it was interesting as I was thinking about that, because uh, I don't know about you guys, but it, maybe it's the philosopher in me. But the first question going on in my mind is I think to myself, well, what do you mean by critical race theory? Right. <laughs> and what do you mean by teach? Do you mean that you should teach it? Do you mean that you should teach about it? What exactly 
do you mean? Now, now just to throw a little bit more gas on this fire, uh, Black Lives Matter, I think, is a really interesting example, too, of loss in translation. Uh, we had this moment on our social media where we posted something about Black Lives Matter, and all of a sudden we were accused of all sorts of things, including uh, virtue signaling and the like. Uh, and and we, you know, you come to find out, well, what do you mean by Black Lives Matter, right? Again, it's just lost in translation. Do you mean the organization? Do you mean the statement? You know, do you mean some other ideology? Like, exactly what do you mean? I don't know about you guys, but I feel like there are just so many things in our culture right now that are that that just need to be qualified, like, and nuanced to death. I don't know. That's exactly right. Um, it's it's also part of our culture to jump to conclusion, <laughs> uh, be it positive or negative. And so it's in in the realm of you know Black Lives Matter, like. Even for me as a, as a as a black person, I I had to make sure that I differentiated in what I said I stood for because well, all of a sudden people forgot that I absolutely love Jesus and any you know I had people I'd done ministry with who know my heart or at least thought knew my heart were like oh so you're you're for the organization you're you're okay that they're okay with all these things and I'm like wait a minute you know I'm not okay with those things. But again, it's just you get you can get grouped into things so quickly without context. I think that's such an interesting point, Troy. It's, it, you would think that they hey that they'd know my heart, but instead it is just so easy to to stereotype, right? And just go, oh well, you must be like this. Oh, by the way, I got to tell you this, Troy. A dear listener uh, said to me just recently, she's going to die inside if she listens to this that I'm sharing this, but I'm going to. She goes, hey, Andy, um, is Troy a black man? yes he is (laughs) it's so funny man so oh man must have heard it in my voice (laughs) (laughs) but isn't that unfortunately the way things are going that we're just saying oh if you do this or say that and you don't nuance it just right you must be like this Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that is one of the biggest sort of intellectual vice in our culture today as i see it is that fallacy called hasty generalization right and just as the name of the fallacy implies it's when you hear something and you just quickly jump to conclusions and generalize and things like that um and there are certain words and and phrases now that are just triggers well let me share one of those triggers yeah let me let me let me throw out a trigger uh, social justice. Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> Who thought that that would become a trigger, right? Because now mm-hmm. Christians are like, can I actually say social, social justice or should I say biblical justice? Be- yeah. Because it's scoffed at pretty quickly. Like, like, oh, okay, yeah, you, well, you, you're just a, a leftist liberal who <laughs> wants to hug everybody and wants to turn down, tear down statues. It's like, nope, just. Said social yeah. justice. That's all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those are exactly the kinds of things. I mean, uh, to be fair, some of these words are sort of signposts in some in some way. Right? Well, they're like, becoming that, and it feels like you yeah. have to constantly educate yourself on what they're signposting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now. Uh, I have a lady at our church who came up to me and she started using words like white privilege and oppression. 
And so immediately uh, I was alerted to the fact that, you know, this lady just might hold to critical race theory. And sure enough, in this case, she did. Um, but here's where I sort of want to slow down because when I hear those words, what I thought to myself was, she might. Right? Not that she does, she but might. she might hold to this. And so that's how, you know, stereotypes in these things work. I mean, there's, I don't think stereotypes are wrong in and of themselves because we by nature want to process a lot of information efficiently and stereotypes help. Yeah. The problem is when you hold to the stereotype too tightly without giving any consideration to individual cases. Now, here's something that I think needs to be asked along those lines, Steve. And that is if somebody uses the the term critical race theory, social justice, Black Lives Matter, the list goes on, you can't help but wonder, well, what exactly do you mean by that? Because right. I'm finding that dependent upon who, who I'm talking to, in this case, I was talking to this individual in the United States. I know, right? And I know that he, when he refers to critical race theory, he's talking about it in a very specific kind of way. But that's not necessarily the way that somebody else is going to be using it. That it can be used in completely different ways. Yeah. It seems problematic to me that, that our conversations are constantly being lost in translation. Yeah. I mean, it's, since we're on the on the topic of race, there's there's even phrases within the Black community that are... Very, that can be very confusing to the onlooker. Like, for example, there is this, the term Negro, and it's a proper word, but then there's also the N-word, which is derogatory and that sort of thing. But if you were to ask two different people what they felt about both words, two different black people, you could get varying answers in there. There's a lot of people that would say, oh, no, the N-word is fine within the culture because we took the word back. It's ours. But if someone else called me that, that's not allowed, obviously, you know, like that is that is against all rules. But yet it's perpetuated in a music which is being sold to everyone. Right. And so there's these levels of responsibility that I want to take, but only so far. But that's also setting our culture up for ultimate failure. You know, in a lot of ways, when I come across one of these cases where, you know, I say one thing, you know, my dialogue partner my interlocutor understands it in a completely different way, those kinds of things. It's very reminiscent of my experience when I first came to Canada, right? Because I came here with all kinds of preconceived notions, uh, my cultural kind of background, and those kinds of things. Maybe for clarity, and, we should just state that Steve's Asian. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who can't who see <laughs> and, and uh, who don't know me, uh, I was born and raised in South Korea. I came to Canada when I was 14. So I came to Canada at a time when I was quite you know, formed by the Korean culture already at this point. And so when I came here, a lot of the Canadian culture kind of confused me because people do things differently. It you know, still it, does, man. It will never change. Yeah, yeah. And and really, the idea of, to me, this is really still to this day, sometimes, you know, I cringe at it because here, when somebody trips and falls, it's hilarious. In Korea, when somebody trips and falls, everybody's like, ooh, are you okay? Did you get hurt? You know, like, this is not a laughing matter, right? Um, but here, it's like, it, it's comedy. Uh, YouTube so, compilations of fails. <laughs> yeah. The, so that that's what I find in these conversations where there's this sort of, you know, collision 
you use the same word, you see the same thing, but you perceive something totally different. So that gives me some indication that this is in some ways a kind of a subculture conflict. Oh, are are you thinking kind of like groups and you can get an echo chamber in a group and that group has Mm -hmm. their own language and they're using it in a very specific way? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, right? Because, you know, for one group, the phrase Black Lives Matter means something totally positive to another group is something totally negative. And we can say the same thing with things like social justice or critical race theory or those kinds of things, right? Uh, and you have to wonder why. Why Why is it that it evokes such different reactions from different groups of people? It's the same phrase. Well, I'll give you an example from like youth working. So I work, I work with youth as well. One of the youth I was working with, when I first was assigned to uh, working with him, I show up and he just had like deer in the headlights. And, this, you know, this youth had some developmental issues, um, just different different things that set him back. And so that's that's all stuff I'm already prepared for, equipped for, and that sort of thing. Uh, but there was just always something else there that I was like, what is going on? He kept using, like, racial slurs and terms and things like that very offhand. And, and experience says to me, okay, you what happened that this is such a... Because you're young, you know? This isn't like you're an older person who, whatever. (laughs) You are a young kid. And eventually I got to the, you know, having this conversation with him that he hadn't gotten to with other people where he had actually been beaten up by a group of, of black kids in his community. And it led to his perception at a young age that, oh, they must all be the same. Because to begin with, there weren't very many black people that he was around. These were the only ones. And now I was the first one he'd seen in years, especially within youth working. He doesn't have a lot of freedom outside of, you know, the people that he's in care with. And so I ended up having to sit down and have some conversations with him and just help him work through those things, but actually also show him like, hey, man, I'm, I hate that that happened to you. That that wasn't that shouldn't have happened, but you can't put all people all black people in that same box. And I think that's sometimes what happens with with society uh, in in the realm of these sorts of things. Like, well, why do I have an issue with the Black Lives Matter movement? Well, because this one person on the corner kept screaming white fragility at me and kept saying all these things to me when I actually like and not as a cliche, I genuinely have relationships with black people, you know, or or whatever. This person knows nothing about me, but they see a white person and same thing. You got two people operating out of trauma, which is not going to, not going to help anybody. And, and trauma, I mean, that's a Greek word, right? It means wound. Yeah. And literally, we're dealing with people who are wounded in one way or another that has shaped how they interact in this regard or that. In this case, you know, with black people, with this young person, right? Um, that's, yeah. This is one of the challenges with a culture that's based on shame is there's no grace, forgiveness, reconciliation to to say with like with a Troy the story you gave with a young person like this is where they need they need a little bit of grace. They need need to work mm-hmm. through it, but can do so in a restorative manner. Yep. Right? But in a culture that just works off of shame, you can see how it just furthers the division. Because now instead of coming alongside this this kid, right, and trying to help him out and, and work through this issue, it's just it's just further shaming that individual that that either you know forces them to act out or to go underground. 
And one of the issues that I'm seeing right now, uh, there are a lot of articles being written on kind of the, the challenge of Facebook at the moment. The most popular thing going on in Facebook right now is its group function, where mm. you can have all sorts of groups that become these, this connection point and breeding ground, right? Because people are tired of the shame that our culture develops. And instead of working through these issues, they just instead join echo chambers and they just breed the uh, the issue. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I think that's there's a lot of truth to that because I am part of a number of different Facebook groups. Some are pretty active, others are not. But often, you know, it is built around an issue and not just an issue, one particular side of an issue. Uh, so I see a lot of people, you know, I get invited to to this group and that. And when I get there, what I see is a lot of people that are on the same side of one issue. All it is is just a place to vent, yep. right? And in venting, a lot of venom comes out, really, to the point where it's quite shocking. I've seen this in different news media in their comment section. You will mm. you will see who is being attracted to certain stories or certain media agencies by yep. what's going on in their comments. And it was interesting, again, because of the podcast, we've had to watch the news and variety of news uh, for years we've been doing this. And at first, you would see people arguing in these comment sections going, how dare you say that? And I can't believe you said this and blah, blah, blah. But now more and more as I as I look at different articles and look at the comment sections, I'm not seeing that anymore. Now I'm yeah. just seeing that they have... Col- I even saw one post once, the individual said, hey, listen, this isn't really your place. You know, Given your comments, you really should go over to, the, over to this other news agency. Uh, yeah. Because wow. that news agency's become an echo chamber and yeah. that's that's reverberating in the comments. If you want to put this in racial terms, like this is segregation, right? Like virtual segregation. Is, yeah, it's virtual, virtual segregation, segregation for sure. Yeah, I mean, but th- that is the the art of communication that we need is this sort of cross aisle dialogue. And I've mentioned this before too, where you know, in even in our churches, we'll form these little groups. You know, when you agree on, so you might have your Calvinist group over there, your Armenia group over there, and Molinists are just kind of floating around somewhere in between kind of thing. But when did we, you know, actually talk to one another in order to understand the other side, right? And in order to do that, in order to actually try to understand the other side, you actually have to lay down your cherished definitions of certain things and actually see how are they defining their terms, how are they using it, those kinds of things. You actually have to put yourself in their shoes. This is the work of translation. Yeah, well, by and large, social media in as a whole has has robbed people from the human experience. Ooh, Troy, that's good. <laughs> that's real good. If we're having a conversation about something and we're face-to-face and you ask me like, okay, well, where did you get that from? I can't go on my phone or go on my Google and find you a quick article to try and prove what I said, or I can't edit what I've said and change it. And second of all is you half the things people say on social media, they would never say to your face. They wouldn't dream of it. Why? Because it would lead to conflict. Well, and it's more than just an altercation in that you are now ha- forced to view the humanity of the other. Eye to eye, yeah. Eye to eye. And when you see the humanity of the other, you don't want 
to treat them in those ways because you realize not just the altercation, but the hurt. But now the altercation can still come if you choose to still not view their humanity, but it's a lot harder than it is when you're just on some chat yep. to be able to say whatever thought you're right. You're right, Troy, that you're not holding captive and that you're letting loose. And now, this wasn't meant to be a shameless plug for my book, Reclaimed, but I'm going to let it be. Yeah, uh, just <laughs> drop it like it's hot. Because <laughs> in that book, I talk about how Jesus restores our humanity in a dehumanized world. And this is one of the examples I give in the book of a dehumanized world, that on social media, these sorts of things are taking place. But guys, here's what upsets me. And this is where I feel like at Apologetics Canada, man, if you hear us with any sort of rally cry, please hear this. Church, we can do better than our culture. We must. We must. I believe, I believe that the most powerful apologetic moving forward is the church. Mm. Being the church, a place of unity amongst our diversity, a place of forgiveness, not of shame a place that all people are welcomed and experience community. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, my concern, as I serve as a pastor at a local church, one of my concerns is when Christians get shaped more by the culture around them than by Ooh. God's Word, right? It's like... In terms of, for example, their language that they import from the wider culture to the church, that's sometimes a sign that they are being discipled more by, I don't know, uh, Robin D'Angelo than by Jesus, right? And if you don't know who Robin D'Angelo is, she is the author of White Privilege. She's a critical race theorist. She coined um, the term right, white fragility. White fragility, oh, wow. right. Um, and other times, they are not just bringing in some ideas into the church, but they bring the behavior into the church. So they see what people are doing on social media, how they talk to one another, and then they just bring that in. And they use the same talking points to, you know, and then they just dismiss other people. Oh, you know, you just believe this Black Lives Matter movement. It's a cultural Marxist thing. And are you a Marxist? You know, those kinds of things. I'm just like, hang on a second. I think as, I mean, is that, that is, for one, that is no way to treat a brother or a sister in Christ. Like you would, you, you shouldn't do that to your family. You should be ashamed. I want to take a practical moment. I want a practical pause here. Mm. Because in my conversation with this individual, one of the issues that this school is facing, and this is an issue that churches are facing, this is an issue that families are facing, what do we do? Uh, and and this, is a, this, is a, this is a real challenge. What do we do about terms like social justice? Do we mm. stop using the term and now we only use the term biblical justice? Uh, or the term critical race theory. Can, can we use the term critical race theory? Uh, or do we have to stop using that word, use a different word? You know, because this is something interesting that we even encountered. We did an ACLE on critical race theory. And one of the things that we do on virtually every issue that we talk about is we'll try to find those those aspects of truth in the issue because that's what makes them so dangerous, let me just say that again. That's what makes them so dangerous is that they're not just full out lies. There's always a hint of truth in them. Yeah. 
Guys, I I know you, you can hear I'm getting fired up. No, that's but all right. We, but it's important that we're able to do that because then we can see where the deception is and yeah. where where this has gone wrong. And so it was interesting because some people were surprised that, that we would take the time to do that. Uh, but it, th- this is an important practice uh, to get in the habit of. But here's, here's my point that I'm trying to get to. What do we do then with, the, with these terms? Do we stop using them? Uh, and, and, the, and the reason I bring this up is because my friend was saying, Andy, he goes, I don't know that I want to stop using them because it's a connection point with the culture. And now I'm, I've got to wrestle with that, and, and I, I don't want to say that I'm trying to push an idea here. Please understand that. I'm just saying, listen, I'm in the same cultural mess you're in. I'm in the same dumpster fire try, trying to see how do I love God and love people in the midst of this and, and realize that so many things are getting lost in translation. What do I do with these contentious words, thoughts? I think we've done a little bit of both in the past, didn't we? There were certain words that we wanted to reclaim, but then other words that we thought maybe we should substitute something else for it. So, for example, when we put together the thinking series, one of the words that we didn't use in the series was the word sin. Uh, Not because we don't believe in sin, but because that word to the culture communicates the wrong thing. And so we use the word evil instead. Because then people understand what we're talking about, right? So I think there is some wisdom in, uh, you know, using maybe a different word that communicates something very similar or the same thing. Especially in talking about something lost in translation. I'll give you an example. I don't know if you saw this. It was in, it was June of last year. So Louis Giglio, pastor of Omega Church in Atlanta, he was, he sat down and had a conversation with, uh, recording artist Lecrae, Christian rapper, and the owner of Chick-fil-A, Dan Cathy. And they were talking about social justice and all those sorts of things. And it took a turn when Louis went and referred to, he, he said, we understand the curse that was slavery, white people do. And we say that was bad, but we miss the blessing of slavery, that it actually built up the framework for the world white people live in. And he went on to also add that, he also went on to add that we shouldn't be calling it white white privilege, because that's such a negative term. We should be calling it white blessing. And it exploded, of course, on social media. And if you watch Lecrae's response, he was like frozen in time. You know, after a while, Louis, he explained himself. He was saying, I was trying to help society see that it's built on the dehumanization of others. My apology. I failed. In calling it privilege, benefit, and blessing, my word choice wasn't great. But you see how people want to navigate the dangers of trying to navigate something that just is what it is. It's uncomfortable. It is. But maybe that's where it needs to be. It's like that agitation is what can produce something positive. But if we try and tiptoe around it and make something a little bit more palatable, we actually miss the sting that it's supposed to have. That's an interesting point, Troy, that these are the words and ideas that culture is wrestling through currently and that we are a part of and that we're seeking to understand and communicate in the midst of. And that, and ultimately what I hear you saying is it's going to be messy. It, it, it almost has to be, right? Because then that's what the church can do, what it's actually been called to do. Then the 
Christ's return becomes that more glorious because if it if it's all cleaned up and and nice when he comes back, well, what was the point of him coming back? Like we need we there's got to be this wrestle. I don't know. What do you guys think? Or a different way of saying that is the fact that it won't get cleaned up, that sin and brokenness are going to continue to 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 develop, and that we need and want Jesus to return. Yes. To yeah yeah to fix this mess. Um. See, I guess I guess for me, I can appreciate that there are going to be groups that are going to be fighting. You know, there's all sorts of tribalism, all sorts of groups fighting other groups. And, and instead of tribalism, we just call these echo chambers. And and they, they you know, they want to put people in one of those groups, I think is ultimately what's going on. But it means, though, that for the church, we have to do our due diligence to— be more careful about how we communicate to each other and actually seek to translate correctly what somebody means by something. Now, Steve, you had said earlier that you came across somebody who held to critical race theory, mm-hmm. right? And you said, well, they might. But but it goes, a, it goes a little deeper, doesn't it? Because now it's like, well, now that they do hold to this idea, well, now I got to go more. Because the same thing with when I meet a, a Muslim. Right? Oh, they hold to Islam. Okay, but I I've worked enough with Muslims to know that that that's no simple. You know, oh, you fit in this category. I mean, yeah. that's the mistake that missionaries you quickly learn. Don't fall into that camp. I mean, that'd be like mm-hmm. saying because you've met one Christian, you've met them all. Yeah. Or when somebody says that they're a Christian, that you know what that means. I mean, now you actually, if somebody talks about social justice now. Unfortunately, but this is the world we live in. You have to do a little bit more digging and go, well, what, what do you mean by this, and what exactly is it that you hold for clarity? Now, this is something else yeah. too that we have to deal with, and as parents, and I know both of you guys are parents, but helping our children navigate this. Oof, yeah. Mm-hmm. These days, what I try to do more and more is, if there's a particular idea or a term. I'll rather than just using the term, I'll try to explain what it means, right? And so, for example, I mean, we haven't talked about this particular term, but it's going to come up, like social justice, for example. What do people mean social justice? And I have to explain to them, you know, one group explains it like this, right? Where it's, you know, God establishing his justice by having dealt with sin and those kinds of things where love is perfected. Some other people use the same word and they mean something totally different by it, right? What they mean is tearing down the current power structure, those kinds of things, right? I'm, I'm just using an example. I wouldn't explain it to my seven-year-old and five-year-old like that exactly. I was like, I want but to you know what I mean? I have to, <laughs> <laughs> But I have to explain it to them that way, that the same word is being used in different ways and you have to know you know, in what sense are they using the term? So you actually have to ask. Now, this is this is creating, and this goes down another rabbit trail that I, I won't lead us down, but I think this is something that we have to think through. And that is, uh, this this creates a lot of challenges for, for us parents, because it means now I need to be cognizant of what is being taught at my child's school. What is being taught on the sexual ethic at that child's, at that school? What is being taught on the racial ethic at that school? The list goes on, and it makes— Identity it, and as a whole. 
identity as a whole. And my kids have both gone through the public system. And so that is something they are, we're now transitioning them for various reasons into a public, I'm mean, sorry, a, a Christian school. Uh, and that that's a conversation for another day. But I, I say that to, to just point out is like, this is, I have skin in the game here. This is something that I've had to navigate for years and I'm, and, and I'm acknowledging that it's challenging. Yeah. Even with our daughter, she's, uh, you can ask anyone, she's three years old, but people are convinced she's in school already. Like she's very advanced. <laughs> she just, oh man, she just soaks stuff in like a sponge and she's very, very perceptive. And so specifically things like, you know, in the, in the realm of gender, she'll be asking questions like, why is this boy doing this? Why is this girl doing this? Why is this? And we've, as of right now, I've had to take the approach of more explaining what we do and yeah. why we believe what we do. Like, well, in our house, this is what we do. Or she'll say, boys aren't supposed to do this or girls aren't supposed to do this. And da, da, da. I'm like, well, in our house, we don't do that. But there are some people outside of our house that don't live that don't live with us that aren't our family that that do do that. And you need to learn to we need to respect them. You don't have to agree but you have to learn to respect them. And she's like, you know, she she's she is at a level where she's starting to understand that and get that. She'll even come back to me and say, "Daddy, I don't I don't like that." But I guess that's what they want to do. That's kind of the phrase, you know. <laughs> and, but even that like I've I've taken that approach because the Lord has kind of taken me through through that approach recently. Yep. Okay, Troy, you may have an opinion on what they're doing, but why do you do what you do? You know, I, I, that reevaluating my own stuff. Oh, why do I believe this? And the Lord's like, okay, where, where in scripture did I lead you to that? Now, this is something that for us, uh, that we approach it very similar, Troy, is bringing our, our children back to what a biblical worldview teaches. What does God's word say? What leads to human flourishing and pointing them back to that foundation found in scripture and, and. And that that's an important thing because I think there's a lot of parents that can get caught up in constantly addressing, you know, because you have to understand culture is will continue to have all sorts of issues. I mean, if you're constantly critiquing culture, that will be a task never ending if that's the way you're going to approach it with your children. Whereas I, I often think we don't spend enough time teaching, here's, here's what we think. This is why this is the worldview that we hold to. Uh, and of course, your child's going to need to make a decision one day as they leave. And that that makes you really wonder, have I done enough to lay a foundation of what we believe, or have I just told them what we don't hold exactly. to? Now, some of our listeners listening to this might be a little bit unsettled because this approach to parenting might sound too relativistic, right? For example, somebody might say, are you saying that Therefore, you know, like this is what you do in your home and that's equal to what other people do outside of your home, something different, you know, like are, are they just all relative like that? Um, I'm like, no. I mean, yes, there is some relativism in the sense that, yeah, they do what they do because of that's what <clears throat> that's what they believe, but we do what we do. And here's the important part that we teach our kids not only that we do this in our home, but tell them why we're doing this in our home. Exactly. Then I think we can sort of prevent, you know, as best as we can, that slippery slope of relativism. 
That's just it. Is I I want her foundation of asking and searching to be biblical, not just daddy said so. There is a level of it where, um, you know, as a fa- as her father, as her parent, there are decisions that I I make, but. I do believe it's important for parents to have a to have a reason, you know, to have a reason for some of the decisions you make. And it's only for your own good more than it even is for your kid. You should know why you do what you do, why you believe what you believe because it's only going to add more authority to your opinion and to what you're asking. And and that's the difference between being authoritative versus authoritarian, right? Cuz authoritarian says, "You do this because I told you so." authoritative says you do this because this is why we do what we do. Yeah. You know, one of the approaches that we've taken back to this idea of loss in translation is trying to help our children navigate that these are not simple issues, that they actually are complicated. And to be careful, though, not to do what happens so often in our culture is to stereotype, to label, and to, you know, peg people as, oh, you you must be like this. But to but to be more gracious, to give people the benefit of the doubt, and to inquire more of what people think. And one of the things that we talk a lot about with our kids, and uh, that sadly does not take place in our culture at all, and that is that you can love people and disagree with them. We do it all the time. Yep. Uh, however, our culture it just depends upon what the issue is, if whether they'll let you disagree or not. The number of issues that they'll let you disagree on is getting less and less as the years go on. You know, it was kind of funny. Um, back in the day, as with regards to organizations, you would often plan like five to ten years out. You'd have your five year plan. But these days, people are like, nah, I don't even know if the world's going to be here in five years. Listen, uh, let's let's just plan a year or two. And especially after the pandemic, people are like, maybe just plan like six months. Like, it, 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 seriously, though, <laughs> take nowadays, it take it. Yeah. These days, it's actually two years is, is what they're, they're recommending. Just plan two years out. But I don't know about you guys, but you think, goodness, where we are right now and how fast things have moved in, in the ways that they have. Like, I, I don't even want to know what the world's going to be like in 20 years. Uh like I'll I'll just take it two years at a time. That's yeah. That's plenty. I've definitely dialed back. You know, like we've we've spoken about this on other podcasts, but like for listeners, like I'm a, I'm a dreamer. You know, I I dream big. I dream wide. And you know, like Andy and I were talking about that that day. We were grateful for our wives who hone us back in, <laughs> like pull <laughs> us back down. You know, um, just to to keep us level headed because. Reality is, yeah, just like you said, like the way things are shifting, certain aspects of what we do might not even be allowed. We don't know how our governments could shift. We don't know how our churches could change. But even, you know, if you asked me 10 years ago, even five years ago, if there would be a a pastor, an ordained minister at a church who's an atheist, I'd be like, that sounds like a a Dave Chappelle episode. (laughs) Like, it doesn't, that sounds like a comedy. Uh, But, that is part of the one of the directions that we are heading. So it's 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 an interesting time we're in. It it definitely causes us to realize that listen, this isn't a by no means are we saying that that means that we just give up. Not at all. Of course not. We stand for truth, we stand for beauty, we stand for justice. That has always been the case and that will continue to be case. And in fact, this is one of the things that you were pointing at, Troy, is that we have a great hope that uh that we do win in the end. That uh, 
truth, justice, and beauty does win through Jesus. And that is where my hope is firmly founded. But I will continue to preach and live that hope till the Lord takes me home. But I guess the real challenge is, though, and this is where I think Satan, unfortunately, is really winning at the moment, is just the division that's going on in the church. And I guess that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring up this topic is just, just to say, church, let us not get lost in translation with one another, yeah. that that because we value each other, because we love God and we love each other, that we take the time to listen to what somebody's trying to say and not immediately jump on what we think that they're saying or peg them as a certain way. That's the easy route. But we got to do the hard work. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada, and as such, we have found a way to be on all of your favorite streaming platforms. So make sure to look for the AC Podcast and like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. If something we said today resonated with you, feel free to reach out to us on social media. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, as always, love God, love people. Bye for now.